Welcome to Friday Friends, RI Elder Info's weekly look at the organizations and individuals providing resources for Rhode Island seniors, caregivers, and professionals. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. It is nine o'clock on Friday, so you know what happens right now. This is Friday Friends, RI Elder Info's weekly live stream show, where we interview different nonprofits and organizations from around the state that are doing some really cool stuff that you or someone you know really needs to know about. So I encourage you hit the like button, the share button, all those social media bells and whistles so that you can be notified when we go live and that you can help us get the information out to the people that need it. We have a very timely topic that we are discussing today. So I hope that you tune in and share it out so that everyone can get the information and resources that they or someone they know may need. As you all know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and it is with the support of our sponsors that we are able to bring Friday Friends to you. So a big shout out to Aetna. They are a Medicare provider here in the state and United Healthcare, Neighborhood Healthcare, Tamarisk Assisted Living, JD Solutions Group, and the magic that you're seeing right now is happening from 321 Media. And if you have checked out rielderinfo.com, and I'm sure you've checked out rielderinfo.com, or you will right after the show, that is through England Studio. They are an award-winning web design team that are more than happy to help you anywhere in the world because, you know, the World Wide Web is everywhere. So today, I am speaking with Rebecca from the Coordinated Entry System and the Coalition to Prevent Homelessness. I'd like to welcome up Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay so far today. It's a little little early to tell, but I'll claim it. (laughs) So far, so good. We'll go with that answer, right? (laughs) Yeah. So can you tell everyone what does the Rhode Island Coalition to End Homelessness do? Sure. Um, and that's a, there's a broad scope there. <laughs> I think um, at our center, we're really a systems and advocacy organization. We work statewide with providers and other advocates to both develop and advance solutions to prevent and end homelessness. So that looks like um, we serve as the local lead within the homeless services sector for data collection and data analysis, as well as overseeing the shelter and housing referral system that is accessed by households who are facing a housing crisis. And the coalition does also operate several supportive service and constituent engagement efforts things like legal clinics, housing navigation assistance and training, as well as street outreach coordination. Okay. So recently, like 
I would say like the past year or two, we've seen an increase in rental properties that are being sold and the new landlords are like raising the rents like crazy. Um, mm -hmm. I got a call from um, an older couple with a mobility impairment. They'd been in their apartment, I think they said like 25 years. Never, never laid on rent, not like no issues, awesome human beings. And their rent went from 800 to 1800. Um, and unfortunately, it's resulting in a lot of people who are not able to make this, these new insane rent prices, mm -hmm. and they're facing eviction. Um, is the coalition seeing an increase in homelessness year after year, year over year? We, yeah, we, we absolutely are. I think what we're tracking at the moment in 2019, prior to COVID, we tracked just over a thousand persons who were experiencing homelessness on any given night throughout the state. As of January of this year, that number has increased by almost 50% to a nightly count of over 1,500 persons experiencing homelessness. And particularly, I think what's most concerning, although the entire aspect um, is unsettling, but particularly among unsheltered households, the number of folks who are residing in places not meant for human habitation, like under a bridge or in their car, more than tripled in that same time frame. Um, and as of last month, we were looking at over 500 individuals who were um, sleeping on our streets across Rhode Island. And uh, I mean, and you make you make a good point. The the reasons for that increase and uh, the rising numbers that we're seeing, I would say, are multifaceted. But certainly, more than anything else, homelessness is a housing issue and we simply don't have the available affordable housing that is needed for our lowest income renters in Rhode Island. When COVID hit, we really had a first wave of folks who were experiencing homelessness. They'd been doubled up with friends or family because they couldn't afford to cover rent on their own, but with social distancing and quarantine mandates, they had to leave. And then I think the second wave of that increase that we saw during the pandemic was when the impact of employment loss and um, reduced hours on income took its toll. So we would we would call households who were spending you know well over fifty percent of their monthly income just to keep that roof over their heads. Uh, we would call them precariously housed, and that was our second wave of folks who just were not able to make ends meet after that point. Um, you know, I think we certainly with the resources, the federal financial assistance that was deployed, um, a, a nationwide eviction moratorium stayed or stalled some of those increases, but all of the financial assistance in the world still can't produce additional units to put roofs over folks' heads. Um, so we are, with that assistance ending, we are, we are going to continue to see increases. So it's not expected to get better soon is what I'm hearing you say. Unfortunately, no. That's heartbreaking. Um, one of the things that really drove me to, to reach out is 
RA Elder Info is getting more calls for seniors who are homeless. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because the incidence is increasing or more people are aware of RA Elder Info and reaching out for help. Um, it, it seems to me that there's a misperception that when older adults face eviction, that they can like simply move into elderly and disabled housing. Yeah. And like many people don't realize that most elderly and disabled housing has a two to eight year waiting list. And so like, if you're 65, you get on the waiting list now. And by the time you're 73, you might be able to get into subsidized housing. Um, right. Besides like the sheer difficulty of finding mm -hmm. housing, older adults also face like the physical challenges of moving. Like back in the day when you're, you know, maybe younger, if you're moving from one apartment to another, like you call your friends with trucks and offer them pizza and beer. <laughs> <laughs> when you're 80, your friends are usually 80 <laughs> and beer and trucks mm -hmm. is not really a motivator to like help. Mm -hmm. um, ab about how many older adults, say over 65, um, have been homeless since COVID hit? Like, can you tell me like it, like yeah. you were saying January to January, we saw this increase. Are we seeing numbers yeah. reflect? Sure, if we use that same time frame and kind of the cohort that we dig into is a is a 62 and over age group, mm -hmm. um, upwards through through 70 and plus, uh, it, I mean, we're seeing similar increases. So we had just under 150 on a given night in 2019 in that age bracket. Um, and we're at over 300 in 2022. So those increased calls that you're receiving i mean it certainly is reflective of that increase in the system as well three and a lot of that mm -hmm, and uh, i mean you, you figure fixed income um social security disability there's no wiggle room when rent increases happen yeah. or are brought down and there's no cap to that and just like you started the you know the conversation with that is a absolutely a primary factor and it, it, I mean, 300 people, that is heartbreaking. One person unhoused yeah. is, is not okay. Um, wow. It's now, if someone is unhoused, say, you know, people in the neighborhood know that Jane is sleeping in her car in the park mm -hmm. at night, is there help available like how do they how how would they go about getting jane help mm -hmm. um, the the first step really for anyone who is facing a housing crisis mm -hmm. uh, we would say is our coordinated entry system helpline um, the number which i think we have to put on the screen is 401-277-4316 but we have agents readily available to not only discuss an individual's presenting situation, but coordinated entry is designed specifically as a single point of access for folks who are facing that crisis. It used to be prior to coordinated entry that you'd have to figure out the number to all the shelters and fill out multiple applications. What we've done, and, and this was really through a, a federal mandate a few years ago, but what we've done locally is streamline access so there's this single point of contacting the help center, our agents will, um, we conduct 
an assessment to determine just the level of level of risk, severity of need, and really the intention is to ensure that among extremely limited resources when it comes to shelter or housing programs, those with the highest needs are really prioritized first, which which sounds at times as or feels at times as icky as it sounds like we what we're dealing with is managing homelessness rather than moving to solve it entirely. Um, although those are efforts that we're making at the at the same time, we have such limited resources and want to make sure because it used to be that if you had the capacity or you had the support available to you or you had a really amazing case manager, those individuals were the ones who would get access to resources first. And when you consider that is most likely the individuals with less capacity and less support to navigate the system on their own, who should be re receiving a shelter placement or a housing opportunity first. So it flips it a bit from a first come first serve, mm -hmm. but the help, again, the helpline is first stop. Um, and it's rare that we can actually place someone in shelter the same day that they call. Um, but we do that assessment process. We put someone on the queue for shelter placement, and then we keep in touch and they can keep in touch and, and we try to move forward as best we can. So this might be a, a, a strange question. Um, but I, if, if I'm correct, it has an unusual answer. What is the definition of being homeless. So if you're living with your friends, mm -hmm. can you reach out and get help through the coordinated entry system? If you're say today in an apartment and your landlord is evicting you as of January one, um, can you call then? What, how do you, what is the definition of yeah, homelessness to be able to receive services? That's fair. We operate under a definition of homelessness that is established by the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development um, and HUD, which is that agency, breaks homelessness into four different categories. Um, we primarily are working with folks who are considered literally homeless, which means they're either residing in an emergency shelter already or they're unsheltered. So residing in a place not meant for human habitation earlier, I mentioned like under a bridge or in their car, um, that is primarily the category that we're working with, someone who has absolutely right in the midst of experiencing that homelessness. There is also a fourth category that is considered individuals or households who have fled or are fleeing um, cases of domestic violence or sexual harassment. There's an immediate and imminent safety concern, and that does roll into the category of homelessness as well if it impacted being displaced from your primary nighttime residence. What we typically advise is if you are within 14 days of facing homelessness or currently you're at day one or experiencing homelessness currently, the, that is the time to call the help center. Um, we don't have a broad array of resources that are available outside of those eligibility criteria. So typically that 14 day time frame and down, we can at least get you assessed, get you onto the queue and, and try to start coordinating moving forward. Wow. So within 14 days. And I and I I wanted to add to what you said about the fourth category, if you're fleeing violence. 
Um, if you are an older adult over the age of 60 and you are a victim of elder abuse and you need to leave your home, um, the Haven for Elder Justice does have a shelter system. So it, you can be in an environment that can meet all of your needs. So if you're over 60 and you're in an unsafe place, know that there are safe places for you to go to. Um, and I can share that information in the chat afterwards with, with no problem. One of the things that I've heard, um, and I haven't seen it because I haven't gone to look, to be completely honest, is there is a rumor that you have to be able to um, sleep on the floor in the emergency shelter. And I don't know if that's true or not true because I'm thinking if you have a mobility impairment, that getting down and getting back up might not work so good. Sure, sure. We do have, um, so out of the shelters, there are about 40 that are available throughout the state. There are only a handful who are fully, that are fully accessible. Um, and then we have another two or three that have uh, kind of limited accessible units. Um, however, the there is not a requirement that an individual, certainly not an elderly individual, be able to sleep on the floor. We do, there are, there's one shelter outside of the system that we refer within as well as one um, within it that does use mats in a community room if there's overflow or if shelter is at full capacity and other space needs to be accessed. Um, However, when we are talking through with folks who call in um, just about their situation and assessing their capacity and what their needs are, there is a question within that conversation that indicates ability to sleep on the floor, use a mat if needed, but they can absolutely decline and it is in no way a requirement. Good, 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 good. That's that's really good. We do, and I would add too, I mean, we have shelters that have bottom bunks, um, if they have bunk beds, if they have bottom bunks open and regular beds that we're certainly shuffling so that the elderly clients have access to those rather than mats on the floor. Awesome. And when individuals go into shelters, emergency shelters, is that something like on a day like today where I think my computer says it's 34 degrees and sunny outside. Well, I don't want to go sit outside in the cold. If someone is unsheltered and they're in an emergency shelter, can they stay there all day or do they have to kind of go out at a certain point and then come back in the afternoon? How does that work? We do have... Uh... So there are different project types within emergency shelters locally. There are some that are just night by night. Mm -hmm. um, primarily, though, the opportunity to, like once you're referred and enrolled, the opportunity to access the site, stay on the site, use it as home is, uh, uh, by and large, the experience. That's good. Um, if, uh, if you're a younger individual experiencing homelessness, are there programs for you to receive, say, um, job training or skills acquisition so that they may be able to move forward in a career that would allow them to have sustainable housing? 
Many of the shelter programs that operate within the state do also provide case management support. It varies in terms of capacity to also extend that to employment or vocational pursuits, but I think we've seen so many providers in partnership who are considering their capacity and collaborating with others who provide services. The coalition does also do trainings and kind of direct constituent work um, along with a, a handful of other organizations. So it's generally available even if it isn't directly offered by a particular shelter provider. That's really good. I know that that's not necessarily something that would work for our older adults um, at a at a certain point, it is not necessarily a realistic goal to right. to provide workplace training right. for an individual um, who may have some some medical conditions or mm -hmm. other limitations on their ability to hold a job. So right. we do. It's the lack of housing, right? Right, and we and again, I mean, our system can do. We do as much as we can, but we can only do so much. There's certainly room for improvement within any system structure or any particular project. Um, but again, we're managing unhoused experiences. We're managing homelessness in light of the fact that there is not enough available affordable housing for folks. I think to, to pinpoint, you mentioned health conditions, we do consider um, age and determining a household's acuity rel relative to shelter placement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, it's also the deciding factor when similarly eligible households come up to be considered for shelter referral. For many of the reasons that you've mentioned, it's, you know, as someone ages, not only are there health conditions and safety concerns um, that pop up, but, but we know that the longer someone spends homeless, the more likely it is that they will be challenged to exit homelessness. So we take age into consideration along with other factors um, in terms of prioritizing those shelter opportunities. And and that goes back to the whole initial assessment. So it, say, for instance, you have a 23-year-old male, a 63-year-old male, and an 83-year-old male, and you have one bed then there has to be some prioritization as to who is most at risk for right. significant negative impacts. Right. And, yeah. and we understand the, I mean, we are humans determining if other humans can have access to a shelter bed. And that's a really difficult not only thing to do, but just conceptually. Um, and I mean, we are we are boosted and supported by street outreach providers throughout the community, by shelter providers. I mean, we're all in this together, certainly. Um, but it, but the work is never easy. Yeah, I hear you, especially when you point out that it's real people having interactions with real people. This isn't right. type a name in a computer and something magically says, you know, okay, we're good. We're not good. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's what works. And I would imagine that that has got to be 
on some days kind of hard on the heart. It, it is. I mean, there's the, the makeup of individuals who are doing this work, not just in the coalition within our organization, but throughout the community. Um, I think it's we rely on each other. I think that support, you know, goes so far and, and it is hard, particularly for front facing, you know, out there everyday street outreach workers who, um, I mean, the things that, that they've seen and the experiences that they're trying to navigate and, you know, our agents at the help center every single day were brought just horrible, dramatic circumstances, and and we don't have immediate solutions. Um, for some, we do. I mean, we in November we the the call center fielded almost eight thousand calls, so just over two hundred and sixty a day. We're making about a hundred and ninety referrals um, a, a week, um, and. So we are, we do have the opportunity to place folks, but unfortunately we can't immediately help everyone. And that certainly takes a toll, not just on us as providers, but on those individuals who are facing the crisis in that moment. I mean, homelessness is always a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're seeing kind of statewide at the moment, I think just, just elevates that. And I think that there may be some stigma around individuals who become unhoused, but I saw some, some data and please correct me if I'm wrong here. And I would pray that I'm wrong actually, but that the average one bedroom apartment is about $1,800 a month, give or take. And your housing cost is supposed to be about one third or 30% of your income. Mm -hmm. So, for $1,800 to be 30% of your income, that means your income needs to be around $64,800. Right. So that's mm -hmm. your healthcare workers. That mm -hmm. is your service workers. That is your mechanics. That's your store clerks. It's everyday people right. are not making almost 65 grand a year right. and that's right. for a one bedroom like and that's and and it's a great point in terms of you could be working minimum wage full-time minimum wage and still not be able to afford for rhode island's minimum wage to afford a one bedroom apartment mm -hmm. at that fair market rate that you're mentioning you'd have to work 66 hours a week just to, to put and then keep that roof over your head. And that's just a one bedroom. Um, yeah. So I'm doing the math real quick. That almost 65,000, that's $64,800. If you break that out to 52 weeks a year, 40 hour work week, that means your hourly wage would be $31 and 15 cents. I don't know very many people on a day-to-day -day basis that I interact with right. that's making $31 an hour, right. um, you know, to, to keep it real with folks. Mm -hmm. And when the motions come before town halls and cities for creating more affordable housing, 
I don't know that folks necessarily think of affordable housing as being something that their firefighters need, their police officers need, their home care workers need. Um, and, and I think that that's something that's really, really important, especially also when we're looking at talking about minimum wages and things like that, you know, what is, what is realistically sustainable? Right. So, and I, and I think the, where we see the gap I mean, deficits within deeply affordable housing, which would be housing that is affordable for that lowest income bracket, the 30% piece that you mentioned of the area median income. Um, we, you know, we need development that prioritizes the lowest income strata, and then also looks to match those deficits for low income and up into workforce housing. It's certainly a um, and some of this can only be addressed through legislation. I mean, there will certainly be with the new the new year coming on, there will certainly be um, opportunities in 2023 to advocate for long-term systemic changes that the coalition is pushing. And that's, uh, you know, really housing and homelessness related throughout the state. Um, I will say you can sign up on our website to get our newsletter for the legislative agenda that, that we are beginning to push as session starts. Um, but it certainly will take legislation to advance development opportunities to actually bridge the gap between supply and demand. As long as there is a small supply and a high demand, the numbers will increase. Absolutely. And so, go ahead. No, well, I, and I would just say again, like we saw such an investment and influx of financial assistance from the federal government during COVID, recognizing this as a crisis. But again, that only goes as far as there are actual apartments to put humans in. Um, and that's that's really the piece. If we can flip that to where there's enough assistance being invested, financial subsidies being invested into development, we'll actually have the capacity to place folks. Wow. So if homelessness is something that the viewers want to take action on, um, what should they do? Should they contact their elected officials, volunteer for your organization, um, consider renting a room in, in their home, um, which could also generate some extra income for them? Um, donate money? Yeah, I, I would say a couple of things. I mentioned the newsletter. That newsletter and signing up for it will keep folks abreast of the legislative agenda as well as kind of the events to volunteer or engage in. Um, so I would say I would say rihomeless.org first to check that out. Um, we are also several of the services that we provide. We're a 501c3, so we're entirely grant funded, um, and so there are supplies and resources that we want to be able to provide to folks that we're interfacing with that we can't within the stipulations of certain grant funding. Um, so another another kind of site to throw out, I'd say rihomeless.org backslash donate would take you right to our donation page and and those donations would go directly to the, the services and support that we're reaching out with. Um, 
I think those are the top two things that I would that I would elevate at the moment. Um, you can also find information on our website about the point in time count, and it'll go out in our newsletter. Um, two, that those January numbers that I mentioned actually come from an annual count that HUD requires um, so that we can identify and track on a single night a snapshot of individuals who are facing homelessness. And that takes volunteers, that takes supplies and coordination to get that single snapshot. Um, so there's certainly opportunities to volunteer for that as well. That's awesome. And I see on the news, on TV, socks, underwear, see things like toothbrushes, travel size toothpaste, because if you have to carry it with you, a giant tube of toothpaste might not be so easy. Right. Um, all those things. And it's the giving time of year. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a time for all of us to reflect on how lucky, how blessed we all are. Mm -hmm. And to remember that there are people who are still sleeping in the manger. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 And we, I mean, our outreach partners, certainly house of hope as an outreach provider locally, um, is taking supplies. Uh, we can take supplies and coordinate them through our street outreach department as well. Um, so, so folks can certainly reach out. And I would imagine because this is work of the heart, even if somebody wanted to just say, I don't know, send a pizza to the office for the staff to just say, thank you. We're cheering for you. <laughs> that would be appreciated too. It, it would be. I mean, we the work is hard, and and we don't get a ton of. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of positives, um, you know, when working within. But we we certainly take what we can get. But a pizza does not sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rebecca, I am so glad you were able to take the time to come on today. I know that there is a big thing going on at the state house, literally you know, right now. Right now. Um, yep. yep. As we speak. So I know that you're, you're probably pulled in 20 different directions. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your interest and in wanting to spread the word. Absolutely. We We're all in this together. <laughs> Enjoy your Friday. Thank you. Everybody. Homelessness is real. As Rebecca said, there are over 300 people 300 people over the age of 62 who are homeless as in in the street living under a bridge or in a car and unless you got about five grand a month coming in you're not really going to be able to afford an apartment or oh, a simple one bedroom apartment here in Rhode Island so it really is going to take all of us working together to get this resolved, but I'm also really confident that we can do this. You know, we have a, a lot of folks who could use an extra hand around the house and they have an extra bedroom, you know? Why not put two and two together and really support one another, really come together as a community? We can do this. And if you're feeling, you know, blessed and grateful to be inside and have a thermostat that you can crank up on a day like today when it's chilly out, then share your blessings with others. Drop off the food, the socks, the underwear, a gift card, a pizza for the staff because God love them, it's a hard job. 
it's important that we all work together to take care of one another. We are all in this boat together. We got to row in the same direction, folks. That's really important. So that's another Friday, friends, for you. I hope that you found this helpful. I hope that you share this out because there are a lot of people who are facing this right now more than you may even realize. I look forward to seeing you all again next week. In the meantime, be well and be kind. If you like this video, please follow us on social media and subscribe on YouTube. For more information, visit rielderinfo.com or call 401-585-0509. If you have any questions, email deb at rielderinfo.com.